Chapter 4, Breaking Free. And then that boulder, it begins to move. And it's often the most difficult moment in movement is breaking free. So what finally turns that boulder over? What does it require? And what are the realities in that instant? So let's talk about forward pressure. So we talked about direction in chapter 3. The church has assembled everyone behind both the purpose and the vision. Hands have been laid on the boulder. A prayer is voiced and the pressure is exerted. And that boulder begins to roll up out of that crater. This is an important moment. And too many stop too soon at this juncture. I equate it to the third lap around Jericho. So if you read Joshua 6, in lap 1, the host of Israel is fired up after the miraculous crossing of the Jordan. They are ready to be obedient and do whatever the Lord requires of them, even if it does seem unreasonable. One trip around the walls, and nothing seems to happen. Now in lap 2, maybe the host of Israel begins to wonder, but they are following a beloved and respected leader, so they follow Joshua around another lap. But lap 3, that's the difficult lap. If they were at all like today's church, there was maybe some grumbling. They had been told it would take seven laps, but surely they would see some sign by now of something happening. Well, what if the host of Israel had given up after lap three? And what if the church today were to give up after rocking the boulder, but before breaking free? The boulder is rolled up to the edge of that crater, and we all know what would happen if the church were to give up now, or even if, if a few gave up. That boulder would roll right back down into its previous position. We need forward pressure. We need tenacity. And that passionate commitment has to be the culture of the church rather than just a passing moment. Let me offer a word of advice for this moment. Mighty shoves can get things moving, but consistent pressure wins the day. It's the difference between holding a revival and being the revival. Let's be clear, breaking free and clearing the lip of the crater aren't accomplished through human brute strength. It is achieved by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are we talking about when we say pressure? So forward pressure. Here's a list of five things. Prayerful submission and surrender. Being deeply rooted in the word. Christ-like devotion to each other. Compassionate service to the community around you. And purposeful outreach to the unchurched. This is not about what we do, this is about who we are. It must be our culture. Leadership is paramount in this endeavor, not to constantly devise new and creative ideas, but to help create this culture. And teamwork is also eminently important as one person, that leader, cannot establish culture all by themselves. Chaos of breaking free. Well, maybe that boulder has been sitting there for a while. There are some realities we need to be forewarned about as we see that first rotation out of the crater. It's called debris, and it needs to be dealt with. In the world of the church, debris can be anything from the old being ripped away to fears coming to the front. Yesterday can either be a huge foundation for the future or a big barrier. And the difference is in whether, one, the past is remembered and passed forward as heritage, or two, if the past is a place of comfort and safety that can become chains holding you back from the future. The spiritual tool given to us for removing debris is grace. 
Grace allows us to have empathy on those who struggle with forward motion. Grace gives us insight into hurts from the past and compassionately works towards healing those wounds. Again, these are people steadfastly loved by their Creator. They aren't obstacles. They are sheep in the flock. It shouldn't be a get-on-board or get-out-of-the-way option. So let's talk about this debris. Identifying debris honestly and transparently is necessary, just the, uh, the same as a doctor asking you to clarify where you hurt or how the pain originated and the degree of pain. So approach church debris in the same manner. What is the anxiety? Where does this anxiety come from? What's the depth of this anxiety? Fostering a conversation before a relational fallout occurs is much preferable than waiting until someone feels run over or blindsided. Now, realistically, we will not bat a thousand. If a culture of comfort has been maintained for a length of time, there will be those who might be unwilling to shift towards a great commission culture. If, after attempts have been made to help such an individual understand the why, but to no avail, they will have to decide if they fit in such a model. Some may choose to leave. And this is preferable to the last alternative in which they dig in their heels and assume a defiant posture. It is difficult not to react in kind to those last of uh, individuals, but grace again is the tool to be used. Fear and hurt are the most common underlying issues for a resistant attitude among members. Some have held on to those fears and hurts for so long that it has become part of their personality you know, to a degree. But love them anyway. Show kindness and mercy. Minister to them intentionally. We believe in a God who excels in turning people's hearts around. And he's also in the business of smoothing the edges. In a careful examination of your boulder, you will notice inconsistencies, pits, and protrusions. The church is, after all, a collection of volunteers, very few of whom have any training. So let's talk about equipping the church. Equipping is an important element of discipleship, but not often effectively accomplished in today's church. Helping individuals find their place in ministry is important, and it begins with some insight into how God has gifted and matured that person to serve. Next, we need to intentionally and purposefully train our church to serve. Few servanthood characteristics are socially taught in today's world. How to build healthy and stable relationships is becoming a lost art. And since the church grows best relationally, this is a real problem. Having conversations without forming enmity is also rare in our culture. As truth seekers, disciples are encouraged to grow together and hold each other accountable, but the conversation is never more important than the relationship. Beyond assessing ministry strengths and nurturing healthy relational skills, equipping needs to include specific training in those various fields. There are volumes of resources available in print, DVD, or online video. Look for seminars or conferences pertaining to children's ministry or youth ministry or small group leadership, worship ministry, and spiritual leadership in general. A glaring deficiency in church resourcing is how the church, how the church and the congregation as a whole is nurtured and equipped. The pastor often has a high level of accountability and is highly motivated to see growth, so resourcing pastors is an easier undertaking. But they are only a piece of the equation. What about the congregation? So bring specialists or church coaches in to help mediate those conversations. 
And the last thing I want to talk about in this chapter is celebrating motion. If we hope to gain help for the labor, we better be ready to share the victory. Breaking free and beginning to move as a church requires devotion to prayer, personal sacrifice, a mindset change, careful attention to attitude, unity, tenacity, and patience. When a body of people achieve this, the moment is worthy of celebration. Thanksgiving and affirmation are potent fuel for the journey. So illuminate every victory. When someone's attitude or mindset changes, ask permission to share that publicly. Conduct brief interviews during service, live or pre-recorded or or, or, uh, just on your sites, your social media. And let your laity inspire and motivate each other. The pastor should lead that charge. It is never an I victory, but always a we. So give credit often and celebrate. Thanks for joining us on Chapter 4 of Momentum.